Please remain standing and listen for the word of the Lord. This morning we're continuing to read out of the gospel according to St. Luke. This morning we're in chapter 13 beginning in verse 18. Jesus is speaking. Luke writes, he said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what should I compare it? It is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in a garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nest in its branches. This is the word of God for the people of God. What is the kingdom of God like? Did anybody ask you that question this week? What is the kingdom of God like? I asked the students that were here at 830. Anybody say that at school? Is that a key question? Nobody had that question this week. What is the kingdom of God like? I'm a pastor. Almost nobody asked me, what is the kingdom of God like? But there's another question that's akin to it that I hear quite a bit. I've put it in your outline. Where is God? I think they're both asking the same kind of thing. Will I be able to recognize God at work when it's happening? Where is God when we experience an untimely death of someone we love? Where is God when someone close to me begins to fall into the depths of mental illness? Where is God when I've lost my job and I can't find another and I'm no longer able to provide for my family? Where is God then? A lot of people asking those kinds of questions. Where is God when bad things happen to good people? We're wondering, can we see this God at work? We may even be wondering, is this God at work? Or have I just been fooled too often? Many of us, myself included, look for God in the spectacular and the miraculous and the magical moment where something really big happens and we say, oh my gosh, that must be God at work right there. But Jesus warns us at several junctures in the Gospels to not only look for God in the spectacular. For it seems that God works more often on the internal landscapes of our lives rather than the external. More often, God is found when we look within. More often, we can sense God working in our lives inside of us. But so often, we look outside of us, and if we can't see it, we begin to wonder, where is God? In this passage today, though, Jesus indicates that it's almost an unobtrusive beginning often. Sometimes so simple, so non-sensational that we miss it. He says it's like this. Someone, anyone, no one in particular, but someone sows a seed in the garden. Not very exciting. Not too spectacular. But Jesus says that's how it starts when someone, maybe you or I, sows a seed in a garden. Someone sows a seed. 
And that's the beginning of the work of God. But too often we're not paying attention. And so we miss it. Do you know the name Edward Lorenz? He was a meteorologist, and so unless you are a meteorologist, I bet you haven't heard of him. But he knew the model for meteorology is if you can figure out the major weather patterns, you can predict what's going to happen. How well does that work? Right? Sometimes they get it. Sometimes they miss it completely. My apologies to James sitting out here. He's a meteorologist. Edward Lorenz helps out. He says, wait, maybe something else is going on. And he begins to study all of this. He comes up with a question. I put it in your outline. Could the flap of a butterfly's wings in Singapore affect a hurricane in North Carolina? Now, he did a whole lot of research, and I'm not sure I even understood it when I read it, but I got the answer. His answer was yes. Yes. And it became known as the butterfly effect, that sometimes the tiniest of causes over time create enormous results. Sometimes the smallest of gestures, of kindnesses, of disciplines have a huge impact later on. Tiny start, big impact. Reminded me of that story I had heard of three boys playing together one day. One, these young boys was so proud. He just had to had to tell his buddies his father had written a poem and submitted it to a magazine. It was accepted, and they published it, and he got paid $50. The second boy said, well, I think I've got you on this one. My dad writes just a few words on a piece of paper, puts some notes on it, calls it a song, and he gets paid a lot more than $50. Oh, yeah. The third boy thought for a moment. He said, well... I may have both of you. My dad writes a few words on a piece of paper, calls it a sermon, and it takes eight people to collect all the money. <laughs> Tiny cause, big impact. Do you know the name A. Philip Randolph? Would it help you if I told you that he was the leader of the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters? Probably not enough information for most of us. But he was the leader of that organization, and in 1941, he said to his colleagues and to anyone who would listen, we need to have a march on Washington. We are not being treated fairly. We're not being paid a fair wage, and we need to march on Washington, D.C., to draw the nation's attention to the plight of workers and to the plight of my people, particularly African Americans. Well, President Roosevelt heard about the idea, and before the march could be organized and executed, met with Mr. Randolph and signed an executive order that gave them some of their requests, or you might say demands, and so the march never happened. But Mr. Randolph kept thinking, it's a good idea. It still needs to happen. So he continued to promote it until some other people in 1963 decided now is the time. And on Wednesday, we will celebrate the 50th anniversary of the March on Washington for Jobs 
and freedom. Hundreds of thousands of people came. It was the day Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gave his I Have a Dream speech. You know who introduced him? A. Philip Randolph. In fact, he introduced all the people that spoke that day because it was his idea that had come to fruition. When Dr. King got to the podium, he noted that this was the greatest demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. But it was a small idea A. Philip Randolph had more than 20 years before. Small start. Over time, big impact. That march and that speech changed the course of the history of our nation. It changed the discourse around racism and segregation and jobs in our whole country. Tiny cause, big impact. In our passage today, we have an image that we might not understand. But the great biblical commentator from the last century, William Barclay, points out that this whole idea that we experience here of mustard seed going into a tree was a common image for a great empire. It was that of a mighty tree. And the idea was that the empire would grow and grow and all that would come under its protection or would be served by the empire would be represented by birds nesting in the branches of the trees. So Jesus is painting a vision here that God's kingdom is a mighty tree growing far and wide and wanting to provide shelter and nourishment and nurture for all of God's people, for all the people in the world. It's a big empire. Jesus says it starts with a mustard seed. Someone sowed a mustard seed in a garden. And it might just grow up to reach all of the people in the world. Are you paying attention? Are you noticing what might be going on around you? Places that God might be at work? This was the vision Jesus had. But remember, Jesus was from Nazareth. It is a small out-of-the-way place. He's not from Rome. He's not from Jerusalem. He's not from any capital city. He's from Nazareth. Some of our biblical scholars say there probably were no more than 200 people living there when he was born. He had humble beginnings. Started in a small place, but had a big impact. Humble beginnings, but great growth. The Gospels tell us that First he chose one and then another and then they invited some others and the crowds began to grow and they got to be hundreds and then there were thousands. The Gospels report at least on more than one occasion that thousands were gathered to hear Jesus speak and teach and preach and maybe get close enough that he would touch them. And yet as they got closer to Jerusalem and in this part of the Gospel, Jesus is moving toward Jerusalem people began to fall away when it seemed a little less attractive, when it seemed a little more difficult, when it looked like maybe things were not going to be as great as they had thought in the beginning. And yet, 
great growth. Humble beginnings, but great growth. So the question is, are you growing? That's the challenge for you and I. Are we growing? Are we growing as a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ? Do you have a plan for growth? We're offering seven Bible studies this fall. Have you signed up for one? Churches across our community offer Bible studies. Have you gone to one? Do you have a plan for growth of how you're going to become more familiar with God's Word through Bible study? Do you have a plan for how you're going to become a tither? I think most of us know the Bible makes it really clear, first 10% to God, it's called a tithe. But we also know from research that at least in the United Methodist family, most of us just ignore it. We do about 2%. I tell you, you're missing the blessing. It's an opportunity for growth. Do you have a, a plan for growth in terms of your giving? Do you have a, a plan for growth in terms of your prayer? How are you going to become a better prayer? How are you become a deeper person? How are you going to attend to your spiritual life this year? Most of us don't have a plan. It's sort of willy-nilly. We sort of drift along. And then we get in a desperate situation and we say, Where is God? And I'm here to tell you, God was at work, but it was like a person sowed a seed in the garden and we missed it. And even when it began to grow, so often we're distracted and we miss it. God is working all around us sometimes and we don't see it. We can't recognize it. And so we miss it. See, there is a bias for growth in the kingdom of God or in life with God. And as I was thinking about this little parable, just two verses where Jesus talks about this mustard seed and how it could grow to be a mighty tree or a mighty empire, I thought of the title we use for the sermon today, Can You Trust Anyone Over 30? You know, there was that saying in the 60s, you can't trust anyone over 30. Now, of course, it was said by someone who had never been 30 yet, so I'm not sure they were the best person to be declaring that, but at any rate, there might have been a nugget of truth in that because part of what they were suggesting is people over 30 had quit growing. They'd quit paying attention. They didn't know what was happening in our culture and in our country. And they were saying, they don't know what's going on because they have quit growing. They've quit paying attention. There's new things happening. This place is changing. We're going to help bring it about. But the people over 30, they've already stopped. They've quit. So the question, how many of us keep growing after we reach 30? Lots of us here over 30, right? How many of us have already decided we've done it all? We're just going to coast from here on out. God probably doesn't have anything for me to do anymore. I don't read a lot of sermons by Roman Catholic bishops. But I've read this one that someone sent me not too long ago. I really liked it. In the sermon, he talked about a woman in his local parish, in his community, who had written a letter to the editor. The title of her letter was something like, Roman Catholicism is not the answer. And she wrote about her own life history. 
She said she was born into a Roman Catholic family. She was raised in Roman Catholic schools. She was at Mass every week. She graduated from high school, went off to college, and says, I never went back. I decided it wasn't the answer. It's not for me. Pretty irrelevant. Didn't get anything out of it. And then the Roman Catholic bishop comments on the letter. And I thought it was very insightful. He says, this is what I think the woman is saying, and I put the quote in your outline. He says, I think she's saying, I stopped growing in knowledge or understanding of the church when I was a teenager. That from a childhood experience, I decided nothing to this whole idea of God, nothing of value in the church, I'm not going to go any longer. How sad. How tragic. Now, if we had someone who graduated from high school and they said, you know, I had biology one and there's really nothing to that science thing, we would say, you fool. You can't decide that now. You're going to miss so much. And yet we have people all around us who decide that about faith and religion based on so few experiences. Oh, I tried to pray for a while. Nothing big happened. I don't think there's a God. Maybe not the best basis on which to decide. And Jesus reminds us that we might miss it because it's like a mustard seed planted in the soil. And if we decide right then... Nothing happening there. No big deal here. Just dirt. I'm not going to stay. We miss the tree. We miss the beauty and the majesty of the mature tree because we decided too early. We didn't have enough information to make a wise judgment. And we said, I'm not paying attention any longer. Stephen Covey wrote many business books, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, bestseller. But he also wrote one called Seven Habits of Highly Effective Families. And in there he reminds us of the Chinese bamboo tree. He says this is how it works with the Chinese bamboo tree. You plant a bulb in the dirt. And then for the most part you see nothing, absolutely nothing for the next four years he said, oh, some people maybe see one little green sprig, but before years, nothing's happening. Well, at least nothing you can see. He says, underground is growing a deep and wide root system. It's sending out shoots all over the place so that at the end of four years, there is this huge fibrous bulb root system under the earth. And then guess what happens in the fifth year? The tree grows 80 feet tall. It goes to the ceiling. But what if you decided in year two or, or three or four, nothing here, nothing's going to happen? You miss the beauty and the majesty of all the work that was going on underground. Jesus is reminding us that sometimes God is working inside of us. And we don't even know it. We don't even recognize it. We don't always feel it. 
But he's cautioning us, do not conclude that God is not at work. Because the same thing that's true of the Chinese bamboo tree is true in our lives. It can be true in our faith. Things don't always grow the way we want them to. Our relationships don't always work out. People don't always respond as quickly as we would like. Our careers don't always go the way we had hoped or imagined or envisioned. Things sometimes go wrong. But that's not the time to decide, God doesn't care about me. I tell you, God is at work. Jesus is reminding us, God is at work even when you can't see it, even when you don't feel it. Maybe God is at work in the deep recesses of your internal landscapes and you don't even know it, but you're on the edge of great growth. What happens if you decide to walk away? You miss the beauty and the majesty of being a mature Christian. The Bible tells us that God is trying to grow us ever more into the image and likeness of Christ. Are you putting yourself in places for God to grow you into that or have you already given up? Have you already decided it can't happen? Not me. God's doing nothing here. Just a seed under the dirt. Or maybe, could it be that God is growing you and positioning you and placing you and getting ready to burst forth with new life? Are you ready? Do you have a plan? Are you paying attention? Are you taking steps to put yourself in a place that you are ready to go when God moves in your life? I tell you, God is at work. You can count on it. Jesus is telling us, God is at work. You don't always see it, but I'm telling you, I promise you, God is at work. Oh, how can I tell? What does it look like? Jesus says, well, it's like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in the garden. And it grew and grew and grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. Oh, man. 